It's funny, she, uh, she looked at me because I was, had a kind of a frown on my face. She said, Where, you, you, do you have notes? I said, nah, I don't need notes. <laughs> then I pulled them out of the bag. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Now, let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you so much that you are uh, a God that we can come to in the, in the day, in the evening, in, the, in between hours, because you're a God that is uh, available to us um, 24-7 and 365. So we just thank you today, and we ask that you would be in this message, that you would speak through me, Lord, that you would just... Um, you know the needs of every person in here, Lord, that you would provide whatever message each person needs to hear, and that you would be the encourager, the director, the changer, the, the person, whatever the person needs, Lord, you would provide in your name. Amen. Um, I have a, a few things we need to read, but um, this message is titled, Three Crosses. Three men, three choices. And you know, I was thinking about crosses. And as you think about crosses, you have to kind of, I figure a little background would be very helpful. Because there was three crosses up there on that hill on a, a day 2,000 years ago. And when you think about a cross, you have to understand that crosses are involved with one thing, at least back then, is crucifixion. And I pulled up some information that was very enlightening and, and kind of puts a perspective that I think we need to have as we read some passages today. Crucifixion was used for slaves, rebels, pirates, and especially desp despised enemies and criminals. Therefore, crucifixion was considered a most shameful and disgraceful way to die. Condemned Roman citizens were usually ex exempt from crucifixion. Like feudal nobles, from hanging, dying more honorably by decapitation. I thought, wow, they considered dying by decapitation worse off? Well, that just shows you the gravity of dying on a cross. It was considered more, more of a shameful um, way of death than decapitation. The goal of the Roman crucifixion was not just to kill the criminal, but also to mutilate and dishonor the body of the condemned. In ancient tradition, an honorable death required burial, leaving a body on a cross so as to mutilate it to prevent its burial was a grave dishonor. They used to leave them up on the cross, just leave them there until they were decapitated. Strange. Under Roman penal practice, crucifixion was also a means of exhibiting the criminal's low social status. It was the most dishonorable death imaginable. Originally reserved for slaves, the elite Roman society, about 10% of the population, were almost never subject to capital punishments. Instead, they were fined or exiled. Josephus mentions Jews of high rank were also crucified. But this was to point out their status and had been taken, that their status had been taken away from them. If a crossbeam was used, the condemned man was forced to carry on his shoulders, which would have, which would have been torn open by the scourging. They scourged them first. A whole cross would weigh well over 300 pounds but the cross beam would weigh about 75 to 125 pounds. Can you imagine that on a, on a body that was torn up 
wounds exposed, and you're carrying about 100 pounds on your shoulders. The person executed may sometimes have been attached to the cross by ropes, but nails were certainly used as indicated not only by the New Testament accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus. Very cruel. And the length of time, and they also mentioned that the, the, the nails and spikes that were used were five to seven inches. It's a pretty big spike. It says that also the emperor thought to receive, actually the first emperor who, who was thought to receive Christian baptism abolished crucifixion in the Roman Empire at the end of his reign. A Christian abolished it. That's the cross that we're talking about. So as I read some passages, I want you to think about, because I think, and, and that's one of the things that happens to all of us, as we read the scriptures and we read them over and over, sometimes we don't really get the gravity of what actually happened unless we maybe look at the um, movies, and especially we know the movie that was so brutal as far as our Savior was concerned, but we forget how brutal that type of death was. So let's just think about that today. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 27. And I'm just going to scan a couple verses really quickly before we get to the main, because I want to create the, the background of this. Chapter 27 of Matthew. Now this is after Jesus has been arrested. And it kind of just puts it all in perspective. It says, in the morning, now when the morning had come, the chief priests and the elders and the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they, they bound him and led him away and delivered him up to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had condemned, had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, but they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And he went away and hanged himself. Let's just move on. Let's go to verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests, and the elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge, so that the governor was quite amazed. Now, we're talking about our Savior. We're talking about Jesus, God's Son, being accused falsely. And one man who's already um, accused him or turned him in has went out and hung himself. And now the others are just, they're, they're going through a, just a fit to just really persecute a man who was innocent. So two things we want to think about initially. We want to understand that the cross was a brutal way of killing a man. And remember, it was reserved for those who were criminals. Now, I haven't heard anything that proved that he was a criminal yet. Now, it says, and they were holding, verse 16 says, and they were holding at that time a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. 
When therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who called the Christ? Now they had accused him of, of being an insurrectionist. Jesus was accused of being an enemy of Caesar. Now Luke says about this that he was in prison because of insurrection and murder. Matthew was kind of gentle. He was a notorious prisoner. Well, no, he was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. That's who he was. And the people went on to say, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, Barabbas. Jesus, we don't want you to release him. He's not worthy. And while he was sitting on the judgment sheet, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. He was treated as a criminal. But it's interesting that they let a, a, a proven criminal free. Let's go down. Let's keep moving. 24 says, when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that the riot was, a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands. He says, well, I guess I can't do anything. I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on our, us and on our children. Then they released Barabbas. And they scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. So the history about them scourging the criminal was accurate. They scourged him. They whipped him with metal prongs and these little whips, and they were brutal. So his, that's where our Savior is at this point. And then verse 27 says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him, and they took a reed or a stick and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off, put his garments on him, and led him away to crucify him. Now let's go further. 40, actually 39. And those passing by, he's up on the cross now. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Verse 43, they kept going. He, th he trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. They were saying, God takes pleasure in you. Let him take you from the cross. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. That's the story. 
Now let's go to Luke. Because this is the passage we're going to spend a little time on. Luke chapter 23. Go to verse 39. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Now we had just read, now you remember, right? You remember that the last verse we read, and the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. They were doing exactly what everybody else was doing. The people were wagging their heads. The Roman soldiers were persecuting him, spitting at him, mocking him. And, of course, the leaders, the, these, these godly men, as they called themselves, were doing the same. And it says the robbers also were casting the same insult. But then we go to Luke 23, 39. It says one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But this is really interesting. Verse 40, but the other answered and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Now, catch that? It says they both were persecuting him. But then Luke says, well, one, he must have had a change of heart. Something happened. So we mentioned about the cross. And I'm going to mention now we're going to talk about three men with three choices. Now, the first man we're going to talk about is Jesus, and we read about him. Now, Jesus is a real interesting man, isn't he? Because he's the God-man. He's the Son of God. When we gaze at the center cross, we have to understand that this is Jesus of Nazareth on the cross. It's not near a mere man. This is a man who spent his life in labors of love, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, opening the eyes of the blind, raising the dead, feeding the hungry, drying the widow's tears, meeting every form of human need, ever ready to drop the tear of true sympathy with every child of sorrow, which one man wrote. What a great description of who our Savior was. He was a man approved of God, a man who was about God's business. The man in the middle, the man in the middle cross, he was Jesus. Who was Jesus? He was the man that was spending his life for us, came here with a purpose, and he actually mentioned to his disciples at one point, he taught them that the, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He knew exactly why he was here and what was going to happen to him. The man in the middle, Jesus, the Son of God. Matthew 18, 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. 
I was lost. There's many in here that were lost, weren't we? And the man in the middle came into our heart and saved us. Now, when we say three men, three choice, Jesus was a man. That's who he was. What, what do you mean a choice? Well, the choice was, he, they asked him, come down from the cross. He made a choice that day. I will not come down from the cross. That was a choice that he made for you and for me. I will not come down from the cross because that's why I came to die on the cross. So that what? So I will save those who are lost. So I will provide hope to the hopeless. Do we get that? He had every reason to come down off the cross because he had power to come down off the cross. He didn't have to carry that cross. He didn't have to let those soldiers scourge him and go through that persecution and that mocking that he went through. Now again, look at the cross. Look at the reality of a cross. It's not a piece, it's not a stick. It wasn't comfortable to have him nailed up on a cross. He didn't feel good up on the cross. It wasn't a comfortable thing. The scourging was not comfortable. But it was done because he says, I love you. I love you. So I will go through this agony for them. So his choice, come down from the cross. They shouted abuse. Jesus did not come down from the cross. A quote that I read from a writer says, Reader, the Lord Jesus never gave so complete a proof of his power and will to save as he did upon this occasion. In the day when he seemed most weak, he showed that he was a strong deliverer. In the hour when his body was racked with pain, he showed that he could feel tenderly for others. At a time when he himself was dying, he conferred on a sinner eternal life. He looked at the others, the, the, the thief, and he said to him, today, you will be with me. So that's the first man, the God man. Now, the second man is an interesting man. We're going to talk about the one that allowed Jesus and had a change of heart. But if you think about this man, you have to look at him as being hopeless and desperate. He was a, a wicked man, a thief, if not even a murderer. We know this because such were crucified. He was suffering a just punishment for breaking all the laws, and he was a dying man. He hung there, nailed to a cross from which he never could come down. He never could come down off the cross. He knew that. When he's sitting up there with his nails in his hands and nails in his feet, he knew that was it. He was not coming down from the cross. That was all. If ever there was a soul havering or hovering on the brink of hell, it was a soul of this thief. If ever there was a case that seemed lost, gone, past recovery, it was his. If ever there was a son or a child of Adam whom the devil had made sure of his own, it was this man. He was lost, hopeless, ready to die. But then something happened. 
And the Bible doesn't say what happened, does it? Luke just says that he rebuked the other thief. What are you talking about? Remember, he at first was persecuting him. He at first looked at him and mocked the Savior. What are you doing up here? Save us. I don't deserve to die. But then something happened to him. Something happened. And what it, I believe happened is that he saw the Savior because it says that Jesus right before that said, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Savior showed love and kindness to those who were persecuting him. He showed the love of God. And it touched this man. He was touched by love. And he changed his mind. He changed. He stopped blaspheming him. He asked that his soul might be cared for, his sins pardoned, and he himself thought of another world. It was a wonderful change. Have you made that change? Have you seen that change in your life? In my life? Have we made that change? Have we actually got to the point where we said, Lord, I am a criminal. I deserve death, and that's what happened to him. He said that I'm receiving what I deserve. He told the other thief as well, we're, deceived, we're receiving what we deserve. We're thieves. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's the son of God. He said, remember me. Have we said that? Remember me, Lord? Remember me. Because if we said that, he said, I remember you. I will remember you. The one man, that was his choice. His choice was that he stopped riling, mocking the Son of God. He saw himself as a sinner. He saw himself as being in need of a Savior. And God rescued him. He saw his true condition. And when did it all happen? It happened when everybody else denied him. When he was hanging up there on the cross, everybody had denied him. His disciples had even denied him. But this man, something happened in his heart. And it changed him. You know, you've seen that movie, and I saw it years ago with the, with the monkey and the lady up on the Empire State Building, something, I don't know, it's some critter, I mean, I don't know what he was, what's his name, but King Kong. King Kong. And he's up there, and she's with him, and he's got the beauty, and everything is great, and then all of a sudden, the good guys come in, and he falls, and he dies, and the reporter's looking over, and he says, it's beauty who killed the beast. It was love that healed the man. And have you been healed by that love? It was love that changed the heart. It was a dramatic change for a man to be a mocker and a reviler and a hater and a persecutor. To something happened on the cross that changed his mind. 
And when we look at the other man, we have to understand that the third thief, this was the man that changed his mind. Something happened in his heart, and it changed him. He recognized Jesus, and he recognized himself, and he made a decision. He realized that he was a sinner. He realized that he was lost. He realized that he couldn't do it, and he realized also that Jesus was the Savior of the world because he says, Lord, he recognized him as Lord. Some of us have said we've gotten saved, but we've never recognized him as Lord. So are we really saved? Probably not. And he didn't ask for anything. He didn't say, you know, can you give me this or give me that? He said, just remember me. I don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve this, the, this, the life that Christ, the salvation, the free gift that he gives us. We do not deserve it. This man on a cross is a man that people will come to when we get to heaven and we will bow at his feet, some people will, because he will be the reason that many people got saved. Because many people, because they heard of this story, got saved. Many people. Because they realized there's hope for the lost. There's hope for the hopeless, the helpless, the far gone. I mean, way gone. He was so far gone, you couldn't go as far as he was. No one us here and here could go as far as he went. He was nailed to a cross, dead, halfway dead, and had just mocked the Savior five minutes before. Maybe it was an hour, maybe it was ten minutes. So what happened? His heart changed. He was convicted by love. Love healed the man, and the man changed, and the man repented, and the man said, I am worthless. I deserve nothing. Can you just remember me? Just remember me, please. Please just remember me. And Jesus said, I will see you. You'll be with me today in paradise. Precious. Now, third man is an interesting man, isn't he? He was just like the other thief. There was no difference. He was a thief, a criminal. He heard the same words, saw the same Savior, felt the same things, the nails and everything, but something didn't happen in him. Both were receiving their due reward. Both were hung by the Lord Jesus Christ. Both heard him pray. Both saw him suffer, but one repented. One repented. And the other one was not converted. His choice was one of the criminals who was hanging with him hurled abuse at him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. One said, no thanks. I am not guilty. Save me, please. I didn't do anything to deserve this. He still thought he was okay and he didn't recognize the savior McIntosh says that the two thieves represent two great classes into which mankind has been divided from the days of Cain and Abel down to this very moment God's Christ is the one 
God's Christ is the one great and all deciding test in every case. All the shades of moral character, all the grades of social life, all the caste, classes, sex, and parties into which human family has been, is, or is, has ever been divided between these two, all are absorbed into this one momentous point, in or out of Christ. In or out of Christ. This man looked, and you know, I wanted you to really think about the cross because we have to really see the cross and the depravity, the, the, the pain, the suffering, that our Savior on the cross in that state looked at a man and said, you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me. He was not thinking about himself because he never does. He went to the cross for us he suffered for us, and he died for us. And he looked at this man and says, today you'll be with me because you repented, because you saw yourself. Now, there's warning and comfort in this, because a lot of people have preached this message, and they've also said that, you know, you can wait. That was his last breath, wasn't it? It was his last breath. He's on a cross. He's dead, basically. He's just a breath away from hell or heaven. He knew it. And we can assume from a passage like this that we can repent at our own time, in our own way, the way we want to, when we want to, because of the thief on the cross. Well, there were two thieves on the cross. And every time I hear people talk about the thief on the cross, they say the thief on the cross. It was thieves on the cross. It wasn't a thief on the cross. There were two thieves on the cross. Two. And one said, please, Lord, remember me. This lowly sinner, hopeless, helpless, lost. Just remember me. Give me a morsel from the table. And you think, wow, that's pretty incredible. You mean you can say that you're your deathbed? There are people who've gotten saved in their deathbed. Last breath. There's a lot more that didn't. They say that people who got saved on their deathbed, when they perceived they were dying, that they analyzed them, the ones that lived afterwards, and they actually came back and everything, something happened. The doctor maybe did an extra operation, and all of a sudden they're back together, and they're walking. And out of the same bar, they're doing the same thing they used to do, but they were saved in their bed because they thought they had their last breath. Do we think that we can do that to God? That we can choose when to come to him? That we can wait until the last minute after I do everything I want to do and on my terms, I'm going to come to you, Lord, and you're going to save me. There have been many people like this thief. And there are a few in the Bible. You have Saul and you have David. Saul and David had the same mentor. They traveled the same time, basically had the same information. They were of the same era. They were provided with the same knowledge of God. And Saul went to hell. And David went to heaven. Judas lived with Jesus. 
three years, listened to the messages, heard the messages over and over and over. And for 30 pieces of silver, he sold out. It's not enough to be in the presence of him. Something has to happen. Something happened in this man on the cross. Has something happened to you? Has something happened to you? It's a warning and comfort. Because it's comfort, it's really comfortable and comforting, isn't it? To know that how, if I went so far from him, if I denied him for many years, and I've been playing with God, and I've been acting like a Christian, and I've been roaming around saying I'm going to get saved on my terms, isn't it wonderful and comforting to know that this God is God that still says, today I will be with you, will be with me in paradise. If you truly repent and turn away and see me as Lord and believe, comforting. Are you comforted by that? We should be comforted by that. That's the God that we have. Now, it's pretty interesting to understand that I don't think this one criminal thought he was going to hell. If he thought he was going to hell, would he have continued to revile him? Would he? I mean, just think. You know right now you're going to hell. You know it for a fact. And all you have to do is put your hand up and say, teacher, I, I accept. I'll take it. I, I, I got it. I, I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. You want me to go into this classroom? I'll go in this classroom. That's where people get saved. No problem. I know I'm going to hell, so I, please let me go in that room, the saved room. He heard the same thing this one man heard, the other thief. He heard everything. He saw everything. And he thought it was okay. He thought he was okay. And when he closed his eyes, he woke up in hell. And if we're not sobered by that, we should get on our knees and really, really ask the Lord to help us to see that picture. Because that thief didn't see it. One saw it, one didn't. Which one are you? It's not like we missed an appointment and we can come back tomorrow. Let me come back to this appointment. I missed the appointment. Let me reschedule it. There'll be a day when we will say, the door will open and he'll come and he'll say, okay, come. And we will have to say to him and answer to him why we kept denying him even though he kept prodding. He said, do you remember on that day, that Sunday in 2007, when you were asleep, when the message was being preached? Do you remember that day you were asleep when I was trying to talk to you? Do you remember that day that I was saying, son, I don't want to lose you. I keep knocking on your door. I want you badly. I don't want you to be like the other thief. Do we really understand there'll be a day where he says, I kept telling you and you kept sleeping. 
And you kept saying, no thanks. I'm not afraid. I'm coming at my own time in my own way. It's my plan, not your plan. It's my life, not your life. It's my way, not your way. I'm going to play, and I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to end up in a place where I'm going to be so discouraged. Moody said something that threw me and was a blessing. He says, do you tell me Christ did not love Judas? He loved him in the very hour that he betrayed him. That is what's going to make hell so terrible. You go there with the love of God beneath your feet. He said, that's what's going to make hell so terrible. There's going to be people that are going to go there and their love has been given and given and he just overwhelms us with love. And the thief on the cross that day saw it. He turned around and said, I repent. Please, I'm a sinner. Accept me in your kingdom or just give me a little crumb. Just talk to me. Just remember me. Let me be a glimpse in your, in your mind. He was humbled by the man on the cross. Are you humbled by the man on the cross? Has he made you get on your knees before him and say, please remember me? Do we have a right to blame him when he keeps saying, please come to me? The love of the saints shows the love of God. We can actually say, wait a minute, Jesus is not here, but his disciples are. And his disciples have showed you the love of God. And his disciples have pointed out the way, the truth and life. They point him out. It's Jesus. It's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So can we say no? When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade, all right, but what is the good of saying you are on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else comes crashing in? This time it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we, are, whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment, is our chance to choose the right side. You think about it. I want you to think about something. This man was actually dead on the cross, basically dead. Two men. Imagine again the scourging, the nails, the depravity, the hopelessness. You're talking about hopelessness. Put a nail in your hands and be up on the cross with the weight of your body, and you're going through such agony. You know it's over. If you don't know it's over, you're actually maybe insane. Because the blood, the agony is right there. It's right there. You taste it. You taste death. You feel death. 
and he was still mocking. He knew he was going to die, and he still mocked. There are those that keep saying, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, and they get on their deathbed, and they want to say, thanks, 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 and it does not happen. They will be rudely awakened when the curtain is drawn and the God comes out and say, you are not on this side, you're not on this team. Go away from me. I tried, and you kept saying no. I came, and I knocked, and you said no thanks over and over and over. And then on your deathbed, you said, please come into my heart, and you didn't even mean it, and you can't fool me. You fooled all the people on the deathbed who thought, oh, he, came, he finally came to the Lord. She finally came to the Lord. Praise God, she's saved. But you didn't fool me because your heart was not right. You denied me so much that like the thief on the cross, even though you were dying, you rejected me. If we think that that's a comforting place to be, Satan has totally blind our eyes. But God is here today wanting to open eyes and wanting to say, take a look inside. Do you really see him as Lord? Do you really see him as Savior? Do you really, really long to be with him? They were talking to a girl, a young girl, and she was dying. And they kept mentioning all these things, you know, this is going to be available to you in heaven, and this is going to be available to you in heaven. And she said to them, well, that's fine and good, but all I want to do is see him. That's all I need is to see him. Do we long to see him? If you don't long to see him, and this is between you and God, nobody else can look in your mind and in your heart right now except him. But if you don't long to see him, he knows it. And you know it. And I tell you that you're the other thief. And you can't steal your way into heaven. We can't fraudulently make it into heaven. We have to do the same thing the one thief did. Simply repent. Recognize. And turn away and say, Lord, please save me. Which one are you? It's not a game. It's not a game. Satan wants it to be a game, but it's not a game. It's eternity with him or without him. Now let's close our eyes because we need to pray and you need to make a choice. There was three men, there was three crosses and there was three men and three choices made on that day. And there was a lot of other people out there and they watching and mocking. And they made choices as well. They made choices to continue to mock him. They made choices to continue to say no to him. But there was one that said yes. There was one that said yes. There was one that said, please, remember me. Which one are you? The good thing is, is the good news is that he's a God that says today, you can accept me. 
and you will be with me in paradise. He says, today, you can do that. All you have to do is just say, I repent. I believe. I choose you. And anybody who wants to do that today can just put your hand up. Eyes are closed. It's just real simple. Put your hand up if that's the choice you want to make today. Because you can. He offers that choice today. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that comforting? Does anybody today want to make that choice? I want Jesus. I want to be like the thief that's spent eternity with him and spending eternity with him in paradise. Anybody today? Just a hand up. That's all we need. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your love for sinners who were lost, those who were without you, Lord, those who even deny you. And we've all been there where we denied you. And then one day something happened and you came into our lives. So we just ask, Lord, that if there's anybody here today, Lord, that is on that just the corner, Lord, on the edge, Lord, of asking you into their life. Please don't let Satan deceive them into thinking that they can just keep coming and keep waiting and do it on their own, Lord, that they will actually recognize today, Lord, that today is the day that they should give their lives to you. And we just pray that your word would just be a blessing and encouragement to all of us, that we would be encouraged to keep praying for those who are lost, Keep praying for those that seem to be far gone and not to give up on those. And also, Lord, that help us to long to see you face to face, Lord. One day we will see you. We will be with you in paradise. And we thank you for that in your name. Amen.